We're at a point in the story of Luke where Jesus hijacks the temple. At least that's what the thinking of leadership was at the time. It was a Sunday that he came in riding on the back of a donkey, symbolizing that he was coming in peace. The people were saying and shouting praises and hallelujahs. The one who was coming to be king, following in the line of David, the procession ends at the temple and Jesus goes in. As he looks in the temple, it is cluttered, literally cluttered, with money changers, with people selling birds and sheep and whatever animal that they could offer and use in a sacrifice. It was a bedlam. It wasn't a place of worship. It was not a place where they could come and find God. It was not a place where they could share and be family together. And at this point, Jesus is angry. One passage says he braided some whips out of reeds and swung those around. Don't think he struck anybody with them, but he ran all of these people out that were plying their religious commerce. And the temple is silent. And the children come. And those that needed healing show up They're there, and they are healed, and Jesus teaches. The temple has been hijacked from leaderships. You, Jesus says, have not followed in the precepts that the temple is a place of prayer for all people. You have made it a den of thieves. No wonder they would kill him a few, day late, a few days later. They could not financially allow for this type of thing to happen in, a, in their precepts, especially, especially on uh, Black Friday. You know, this is where we get the income from our, for our temple for the year, from this interchange that takes place. And so Jesus says to the group, see this temple? There's coming a day and it's not far off that not one stone will be left upon another. The place is fabulous. It is beautiful. Shows a richness. Herod, years before, had doubled the size. Had built it probably in about 18 months. And over those years, people have been adding to the glory of the temple. On the post going into the holy and most holy place, on the structure that is there, they had a vine, a golden vine that came down with golden grapes sprinkled throughout. Gold covered the temple from the Mount of Olives just across the way. You could look and you could see the temple proper and you could see all the riches and the gold, especially in a rising sun, would reflect black and almost blind you as a person. And in this place, Jesus is looking, and there is a widow. 
a widow who makes her way over to these horns that came up where they could put their donations in and it would rattle down a brass pipe to the treasury below. And she had two coppers. That's all. And Jesus watched as she put them in and could barely hear any noise because they were so small. And Jesus says, of all those that give to this temple, she is given the most. She has given everything. But consider this. In the glory and the majesty of the temple, with all the ex- beauty that is on its exterior and the fineness of the structure, the greatest marble that they could find, that there is this poverty. And in all this glory, for some reason, there was a loss, a total loss in the value of what God created, people. What God has come closest to, a symbol of his blessing, that people are created in God's image. And he said these words, and those that heard said, okay, how can this be? Tell us when this will happen and what will be the signs. And that's our text today, but I'm going to do, a, do kind of a roundabout thing. Brett said about the last song that we sang together that it talked about a great gap between God and people. Lou, stand up a second. I want to make you uh, just stand right there. In fact, let's change places. I want to put you here, Lou. <laughs> just, just look like the kind gentleman you are. <laughs> How much does this pay? <laughs> I, I had to give all I had to the uh, poor widow here. <laughs> Ruth, the uh, beggar. God is separated from all of us. Do you understand that? The gap that was mentioned. There is a great gap between God and people. Even God as creator, creating the first people who were perfect, who were pronounced good, and were brought together within the first Sabbath time for this interchange between God and people. There is a gap, and there is always a gap. The filling of that gap becomes the initiative of God to the people. Do you understand that? I have nothing within myself that allows me to reach out to God, except God has reached to me first. We have to understand that. And even in that first garden story where there was no sin there is still this great gap all right what happened was with adam and eve they said we know better than you god 
We'll, we'll partake of this fruit that's in the midst of the garden. Eve got it, brought it, and presented it to Adam. We have been told in Sabbath school that Eve had to go find Adam. Have you heard that? Look at the text closely. Adam is by her side. Adam does not stop her. Adam is a participant. Women have got the bad rap over the millenniums of history. Adam was there. And they have projected their blame and their responsibility onto women. But that's another story altogether. <laughs> when Adam and Eve sinned, that separation became greater. Do you understand that? And there needed to be something to show the consequence and to bring back that relationship. If you sin, you will die. A substitute death happened on an altar outside of the garden. And from that point on, there were symbols that were used in Scripture to remind us of our relationship with God and the need to communicate. I'm not going to make you stand up for the whole thing. Come on down. I think we can figure out the gap. <laughs> this is a part of the gap theory. And we'll blame Brett for it. But God then over the ages has used various things to help us understand that relationship and bring us back in somewhat a form of communication with God. There was the altar. There was a sacrifice. There's a story of a ladder that goes to heaven in kind of a holy place called Bethel. We call it Jacob's Ladder. We sing the song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. Jacob never got on that ladder. If you want to put it in the context of current science fiction, it was probably a wormhole that came from the reality of God into humanity. Just a kind of an interesting type of way that there was a touch place. Jacob at one point, when the sons had sinned, had slaughtered all the males in the town of Shechem, not a good idea. He said, we need to go back to Bethel and find God. So there was something about that community. Uh, later, the sanctuary would be there. But God used these things, and Sabbath included, as a means of trying to maintain a form of communication with him. In the Exodus wilderness story, they begin to build a place. It's a tent. It's about uh, 90 feet by 30 feet, the inner tent that is there. You have a holy place and a most holy place. It has furniture around it, a laver, altars, tables, an ark that are used to help people communicate with God. Remind them of God used in the process. We won't go into everything. I'll mention one, which would actually be all you need to know about the sanctuary when you consider it. But they were there to help people in the communication with God. 
the one box, and that's all it was, that Indiana Jones went looking for on the screen a few years ago. It's all it was, was a box about like this. Gold plated on the outside. I had a friend uh, who was an engineer figure out the approximate weight that it would have been with these, these uh, carved gold plated angels, probably about seven or 800 pounds. It was something a little bit more than four men could carry on stays. They probably had eight men carrying them uh, when they moved it. Um, but it is a box. And do you remember what went inside the box? The Ten Commandments. Right. And what was on top of the box? Mercy seat. You know what that is? That's the lid to the box. And we call it mercy because God's mercy completely covers God's law. Don't lose that thought. If you need to know anything about the sanctuary, it is this one thing that is crucial. God's mercy completely covers the law of God. If I come to God at the point of law, I have no hope. But Scripture tells me that I meet God at the point of mercy. Do you follow that? That at that point of mercy, the only place I can meet God. Do you know what else is there? Are these two cherubim with wings outstretched covering that place of mercy? As time progresses, that sanctuary is portable and it is moved from place to place and eventually carried with them into the promised land. God is using now not only the sanctuary as a symbol to help us understand and communicate with Him, but He is using prophets, prophets that don't necessarily say, This is what's going to happen in the future, but primarily saying, This is what God wants wants you to hear. Prophets are God's spokesmen. You have in the structure now of the sanctuary service a group of people called priests. And these priests take our sacrifice, our offering, and bring them into the holy and the most holy place before God. God speaks to us through the prophets. We respond through our gifts and through the priests. Intermediaries are there to help us in this communication. Years later, David wants to set up things just right, brings the ark back to Jerusalem, sets up the sanctuary there. It had been in Bethel. And he conspires with Nathan the prophet and says, let's build a temple to God. And Nathan talks with God and they communicate together. And God says back, who said I needed a temple? Remember that? But you know, people are kind of pushy. And God, as a typical parent, sometimes gives in. Believe it or not. And here is David now gathering all the materials. He's not allowed to build it for a temple. His son Solomon builds it. Beautiful temple. You see, this is a radical change, by the way. Remember the tabernacle I said was portable? It went with the people. 
God was not necessarily tied to the Palestinian real estate. The intent was that through Abraham's seed, all the world would be blessed. And I think that temple would have been moved from place to sanctuary, from place to place, as the people of God became greater and expanded even more and more. We get locked and tied to property and a place instead of to the people that are the most sacred things in God's view. The temple is destroyed. Captivity is in foreign hand for Judean people. Uh, the implements of the temple are taken. The ark is lost. So Indiana Jones can go find it. Actually, we have no idea where it is. We think it might be a cave somewhere in, in Palestine. Jeremiah took it, uh, we think, to preserve it somewhere. It's still available to find. I'd be careful where you searched. After the captivity, the people come back and they determine under Ezra and Nehemiah, your Sabbath school lessons, to rebuild the temple. They do. There's a lot of weeping concern because it is not like it was in the old, old days. By the time of Jesus, the temple is doubled in size. Herod has put in improvements. The improvements last until about 62 AD or the Christian era. Um, Jesus' temple was where he went to be named, to be blessed and dedicated where he went as a 12-year-old to worship, lost from his parents. They find him there among the leaders, and he says to the people, his, his parents, when they complain, we've been looking three days for you, he says, you should have found me here. I must be about my father's business. You see, the temple throughout, Luke is where we're looking right now, uh, in a various, various places. And now Jesus is here in the temple. He is preaching in the temple. He has cleansed the temple, chased out the money changers. John reports that Jesus said at that time that if you tear down this table, this is temple, this is when he was confronted by the Jewish leaders. If you tear down this temple, I will raise it up in three days. Now what was he talking about? His body, his death, his resurrection. Keep that in mind. Remember on the cross, when Jesus died, that great veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. That veil that separated the common people, like you and me, from seeing what was beyond that. It was open for all to see. And a radical change happened with the temple at that point. And we have with the death of Jesus, basically the before and the after, the transition point. What Jesus said about the temple, not one stone would be left upon another, happened, 70 A.D. The passage that we read today focuses on that particular 
experience coming up to its destruction. And what was expected within the constructs of that particular time. And when the Romans laid siege, one of these uh, pay that the soldiers would have was they were given a period of time to rampage through a city and take whatever they wanted. It would be theirs. They'd set it afire. And that gold on the exterior of the temple melted down and went into the cracks of the marble. And if you want to get something good, it's better to take gold than baskets. And so they pushed over the stones and scavenged inside along those cracks of the marbles to pull out as much gold as they could. In those first few years after the death of Jesus, the resurrection, Jews and Christians worshipped together. The temple was a place. There was actually no distinction in the minds of people that anything had radically changed in the sense that the temple was centered. But there was. And I want to give you something interesting, I think. First of all, we have with communion, the symbols of the bread and the wine. The body of Christ, the blood of Christ. That it is a form of the worship of the temple going forward. That the temple is no longer mortar and bricks, but it is Jesus, and I think it is us. I'm going to give you the argument for that. As Adventists, we are health reformers. We like to look after ourselves. It's a good thing. I support it fully. And the text we use to tell us that we are to be health reformers is one that Paul wrote. Chapter 6, 1 Corinthians. Know you not? Know where I'm going with this? That your body is the temple of God. The responsibility and the things of the temple, not just in healthy living, okay? That's good. But let's go to the core, the basis of where this is. That the temple has transferred to the followers of Jesus Christ. The temple has transferred in such a way in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we are the temple of God. That we are the ones, as the temple was supposed to do, proclaim justice and love and kindness to all the community. Do you see that there? The temple failed. And in the two stories that are here, the widow with her two mites and the glory of this temple that had all the people in awe and saying, Jesus, look at that. Oh, look at that over there. You know how you do that when you go into a, a large city and you see these skyscrapers. The local folk know who the visitors are. 
And the visitors were pointing this all out to Jesus. But Jesus saw the failure of the temple. Because that widow who gave her all was not a part of the riches. And the riches were placed in a building and not in those that were created in the image of God. So very quickly, Jesus goes to the text, and let me grab the text that we are familiar with, and we'll talk about this more in two weeks. He goes to the text, and we love this as Adventists because it talks about a coming. We apply a lot of this to the second coming. Uh, Matthew does the same, but most of this points to the initial destruction of Jerusalem. There are some things and points in here that I'd like you to understand. These are crucial. Number one, verse eight, beware that you are not led astray. Don't be led astray by people that come to you with PowerPoints saying how things should be and will be in the coming of God. The kingdom has not come yet. The resur death and resurrection of Jesus is past. The coming of Jesus Christ is yet future. We are now in the time between. And it is not a time without God. It is not a time that you say and tell God when He is supposed to come and redeem His people. That's God's business, not my business. My business is to be the temple in the community where I live. And we have lost this. We get so concerned about the next earthquake that we read in the newspaper, the shootings, which are tragic, that should not be happening. The destruction of the environment that is going on. We say these are signs, these are last days. Perhaps they are, I don't know, but they are present days for you and me to live God's purpose in our community and to live them nowhere else. So often we get so concerned about the hope of the coming of Jesus and what is the future that we fail to see where we are that we no longer provide justice, hope, love, kindness, and community. And there are many people that are calling us to structures, to things that are not right. I don't know how many over the years, how many letters I've received, these long epistles that you can hardly read through them, single-spaced, no margin basically on the page, talking and setting times and dates for Jesus to come. Uh, I throw them all out. They don't serve anything. See, itinerant with the PowerPoint in contemporary times that does not call us to our role as God's temple in the community. Number two, 
always recognize that there is a presence of God in the world. Even with things that happen that we don't explain. Wars and rumors of wars. Matthew says these things will happen. These aren't signs. These things will happen. But God's work is here for us to do, and God is present in what is happening in this kingdom. It's in verse 9. I like the part where he says, Do not be terrified. That's a little hard to do. You know, you come with a message that's pretty harsh. You see an experience. How is this to happen? But do not be terrified. Because we have a God that is with us, and this is God's business, and we are God's temple and God's people. But the most important thing, I think, that is given in the text, and this is 13, This will give you an opportunity to testify. God is good. God has blessed. Yes, I have issues. I have people that have turned against me. But God is there. God is in my life. God is in what I do. God is in my church. God is in the temple that we are together as God's people. To recognize these things are so important. Yes, indeed, Jesus is coming. I look forward to that more than we can imagine. And I think you do too. But we live in a community of realities and we're given the opportunity to testify because you and I are the temple of God a temple that will not be torn down a temple that proclaims God's justice God's love God's kindness to all people